Lord, we thank you again for bringing us together, God, and, and we come here with an eager expectation that you would speak to us powerfully, profoundly, personally, specifically. God, we want to hear from you, and I pray that you would use this text uh, to help us understand how how we're supposed to hear from you, the different ways that you speak to us, Lord, and you would encourage us. As a good father, you want to direct your children, uh, and as good children, we should seek direction from the Father. So, Lord, please fill us with your spirit and guide us as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, fresh little recap. We finished Acts chapter 10 within the last couple weeks. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, we see God preparing Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. How did he do that? Well, he did it by basically breaking Peter's traditions, the Jewish traditions. It started when he was in Simon the Tanner's house. A Jew traditionally wouldn't go inside a Tanner's house because they uh work with dead animals and they would be considered unclean if they came in contact with a dead animal. That means they couldn't come to uh, the synagogue or the temple to worship. But we see Peter led by the Lord. He goes to this Simon the Tanner's house and he stays there. It says many days. Well, while he's there, he gets this vision from the Lord. If you recall, the sheet falls down and he sees all these unclean animals and God says, rise and eat. Peter's like, what? I don't eat unclean animals. I stick to a kosher diet. But we see the Lord wasn't concerned about the animals in that text. He was concerned about people. And he was giving them an illustration to help them understand that he was going to preach the gospel to the unclean Gentiles, if you will. Well, sure enough, through some other forms of confirmation. These men come to Peter's house. He engages with them. They were sent by Cornelius, the centurion. He goes to the house of Cornelius. He shares the gospel. And as he shares the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people. They get saved. Then they get baptized. Then they invite Peter to stay at their house for a while. Because why? They're hungry. They want to know more. They want to understand the word of God. Now in Acts chapter 11... It's basically that same story over again, at least the first half of it, which makes you kind of wonder, like, why is Luke saying this again? Like, we just read this. All it is is Peter retelling the story that we just went through in Acts chapter 10. Well, there's a specific reason why Luke is telling us this story. See, Luke is a Gentile, much like many of us, right? And this was a significant story that happened in the New Testament. Why? Because this was the very circumstances that the Lord used to open up the gospel for the Gentiles, me and many of you, to receive the grace of God. So Luke is basically telling it over again. But he's telling it through the lips of Peter. See, Peter, he's really going to tell this story over again for a specific purpose. Speaking to the church in Jerusalem, he's going to persuade them that it was really God who ultimately opened up this door to the Gentiles. It wasn't like Peter just had some bright idea and decided to preach to the Gentiles. No, it was God who was in all of this. And we see God, he confirmed the direction to Peter through various forms of communication. Title of this teaching, God's Direction Confirmed and retold. 
God's direction confirmed and retold. That's really the point of the first half of this chapter. Peter wants to, the church to know that God confirmed this direction to preach to the Gentiles. So he goes about telling the story so that the people understand how many different ways God confirmed this direction. Have you ever received confirmation to walk in a certain direction from God specifically? Has God spoken to you about something specific? And he says, I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be in this relationship. The 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 opportunities are endless, but the reality of it is, as I prayed, God being a good father, he wants to direct his children. And God, because he's so smart and he knows all things, and because he's creative, he's the creator, He has various ways in which he gets the direction across to us. It's Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This is how the book uh, starts off in verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, almost there. He says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. You hear that? God speaks in various ways. God speaks in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he'll speak through the word, but that's not the only way God speaks. God will speak through worship. He'll speak through prayer. He'll speak through circumstances. He'll speak through visions. He'll speak through dreams. He'll speak through people. He'll speak through uh, angelic messengers. God will speak through donkeys. We see that even in the Bible. The point is God is not limited in his various forms of communication. And he knows how we need to hear from him specifically. Maybe there's a specific way that God tries to get things across to you. Maybe it's not as much in the word. Maybe it's through people. Maybe it's through circumstance. Regardless of the various ways God tries to confirm certain directions to us. We got to be listening to gain that direction, to gain that confirmation. It's easy for us to be led by our emotions or our desires. But our emotions and desires, they don't matter if it doesn't line up with God's word. How is God directing you? Are you receiving direction? Are you listening when he gives you direction? And are you walking in that direction? We'll see Peter retell this story as God confirmed this direction in various ways The text starts off in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So specifically, he's going to go to Jerusalem. If you remember, Judea is that southern region of Israel. Okay, that's where the gospel started. It started in Jerusalem, and then it spread to Judea. You remember Acts chapter 1, and then uh, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, which we'll get into later. So the apostles, they hear, wow, the gospel got presented to the Gentiles. You think this would be an exciting thing? Wow, God is is using us to get the gospel to the entire world. Grace is for everyone. This is awesome. This is exciting. But that's not how many of them respond. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, 
Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? They get in an argument with Peter. What are you doing breaking our traditions? These are his friends. These are believers. And they're trying to contend with Peter and argue with him because they don't think what he did was of the Lord. See, whenever we purpose to do what God has directed us to do, we can expect people to contend with us. We can expect people to get in the way and try to prevent us from doing what God calls us to do. Oftentimes, it's the enemy. Let me show you. If you know the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, after the Babylonian exile, um, we see the Medo-Persian Empire took over. And, and Nehemiah, he was sent back specifically to build the wall and basically build back up Jerusalem because Jerusalem had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And look what happens. Though he knows he's doing what God tells him to do, he has these people contend with him. It says in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Listen to this. But they thought to do me harm. Nehemiah knows that these guys are trying to do him harm. These guys don't want Jerusalem to be built back up. They don't want the Israelites to be back in this land prospering from the Lord. But the point is in this text, we see the enemy of Nehemiah was trying to prevent him from doing what God was calling him to do. You can count on this. The enemy is going to try to prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. There are so many people here um, that have experienced that. Specifically, I know there are many people that signed up for this mission trip, right? We had 26 people signed up. That's great. You can expect, you can be confident that the enemy is going to try to contend with you. He's going to try to prevent you. Though God may have called you and you're certain of that, you can rest assured that the enemy is going to try to get in there and get you to question your calling or get you to feel like you're not equipped or you're not worthy. Or you're not ready. Whatever the case may be, we see throughout scripture, even in our personal lives, that when we're doing what God's calling us to, we can expect contention. Someone will try to get in the way. Sometimes it's not just the enemy. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes it's our family members. Let me show you. It happened to Jesus Christ himself in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, Look at two verses here. In verse 21, it says, But when his own people, specifically uh, his own people, are referring to his family. I'll show you that in just a second. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Literally, the Lord's family, Jesus Christ. They thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. Why? Specifically because he kept preaching against the Pharisees and calling them hypocrites and breaking tradition and what was socially acceptable. So his family goes, you're nuts. You're going to get yourself killed. Well, that was one of the points. He was really trying to get himself killed. He says in Mark chapter uh, 3, verse 31, look at this, same context. It says, when his brothers and his mother came, standing outside, they said to him, calling him, 
And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So his mother and his brothers, they come and they're like, hey, bud, you're going nuts. Quit speaking to the people. Quit speaking out against the religious leaders. And look what Jesus said in verse 33. But he answered them saying, who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. And said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Wow. His own family tried to contend with him. And yet he says, hey, I'm about doing my father's work, my heavenly father's work. He's given me confirmation to walk in a certain direction. And it doesn't matter whether it's my friends, my family members, or the enemy himself. Nothing is going to prevent me from obedience to God's direction in my life. That was what the Lord's mentality was. And that's the mentality that he calls us to have. If he's the way, we can expect even our friends and family members to get in the way from us doing God's calling, fulfilling God's God's calling in our life. And the Lord says, you know, want to know who my real family is? Those that do the will of my father. That's my real family. I've experienced this in various ways, not just attacks from the enemy, but contention from friends and family members. I remember when I was interning at Patmos, I wasn't making any money. I hadn't made money in a couple of years at that point. Uh, but I knew I was doing what God called me to do. And I'll keep in touch with various friends that I grew up with. And I was talking to one of my friends and they said, dude, this is great and all. We're glad like, you know, God changed your life and uh, you're not in your addiction anymore. But when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? Like, come on, like, what are you doing? And I just laughed. I'm like, uh, you might not consider this a real job, but I know I'm doing what God called me to do. But it wasn't just friends. I've had family members. I won't mention names because sometimes they listen to these messages. They'll know. They'll know who I'm talking about. But I've had family members try to contend with me or argue with me about doing what God's called me to do. Going to El Salvador. They didn't want me to go. Coming to California. They didn't want me to go. Uh, to be honest, there are still a lot of family members back at home in Florida that don't want me to be at home in California. They, they want me to go back. And they always tell me, hey, there's this opportunity at this church. There's this opportunity. It's like none of that matters. What matters? Doing what God calls us to do when he confirms a direction. We can't let anyone stand in the way. No one, even the people that love us the most. Peter is getting this kickback from his brothers in Christ. These are his family members, if you will, at least his spiritual family. And look what they say. Again, verse 3, this is what they said to him. You went into an uncircumcised man and ate with them. That was their issue. Not just that the gospel got presented to him, but you went into the house with a Gentile because that was strictly forbidden according to Jewish tradition. You weren't supposed to go in the house of a Gentile because a Gentile was considered unclean. And if you came into contact with them, you could be deemed unclean. Well, that was the Jewish tradition, but that wasn't according to God's word. Okay, God calls us to love all people, not just in the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. See, the traditions of these Christians, they're Christian Jews, okay? The traditions of these Christians were preventing them from understanding 
what God was trying to do and get the gospel out to the Gentiles. See, often cultures are led and dominated by socially accepted norms that don't line up with Scripture. This was the Jews and their believers. But it's not just for the Jew. It's for us as Americans. Every single culture that I've experienced practice some, practices some cultural things and accepts some social interactions that are not okay according to the Word of God. Cultures tend to do this. We just go with the flock like a bunch of lemmings. We fall into a culture and we don't take the second to look back to the word and say, is this, is this true? Does this line up with your word? Or God, is this offensive to you? So I might offend some of you. We look at our American culture and what's accepted in this culture today. A lot of things are strictly forbidden in the word of God. We look at gay marriage. We look at abortion. We look at materialism. We look at gluttony. Yeah, I said gluttony. We don't really think about that sin too much, right? But it is so prevalent in America. There's a McDonald's on every single corner. And we'll look at some of these other sins like, yeah, look at our culture. It's going down, uh, it's going down the tubes as I'm stuffing my face with cheeseburgers, right? That's a cultural thing. That's not a biblical thing. The Bible speaks against gluttony. The reality of it is we got to wake up and realize, are we practicing American culture or Bible culture? And it's not that American culture is bad. I love being American. I'm a proud American boy. But the reality of it is, if I look at my life and I compare it to scripture and I compare it to my culture and these things aren't lining up, then something's got to change. And it's the way I perceive my culture. Wake up. It's Bible culture. This is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to walk. We fall into this pattern that we just accept things because everybody around us accepted them. But according to God, they're unacceptable. Paul says it firsthand in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Remember, this is Paul. Dude, Paul was a guy that was bound by tradition. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a rabbi. It was all about tradition. And when he got saved, he realized, wait a minute, my culture contradicts God's word. It contradicts his heart. So I got to change my culture. I got to change some things in my life. And he says, I count all those things as loss. I count them as rubbish. I'm going to do away with my culture and I'm going to get down to practicing Bible culture. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If there are areas in my life that contradict how Christianity is taught in the Bible, then they need to change. And let me tell you something, in transparency and, and honestly, um, this is embarrassing for me. All those things that I mentioned before, plus more, um, gay marriage, uh, abortion, gluttony, partying, premarital sex, you name it, materialism. I, I thought all those things were okay. I used to think all of those things were okay. I literally, I didn't have a problem with any of those things. Until I got saved. 
And it wasn't some Christian apologist or some persuasive speaker that told me, hey, this is wrong and this is wrong. And this is wrong. No, it was my time with the Lord. And a lot of those changes, they didn't happen immediately. It happened over time. And I realized, wait a minute, these things that I believe to be okay aren't okay. And what happened? Started getting transformed by the renewing of my mind. And as I was in the word and in prayer and in worship, I realized, dude, you were a fool thinking that this stuff is okay. Because God says it isn't. And it's not that things aren't okay in our culture because I say they're not okay. It's because what God says, it doesn't matter what I say if it doesn't line up with what he says. You're not supposed to uh, conform to my patterns. We're called to conform to the pattern that's laid out in the word, the truth of scripture. So these men are stuck in their tradition. They're upset that Peter preached the gospels to Je- gospel to Gentiles because he came and under the same roof as the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. So Peter, he goes on to explain to these contentious Christian Jews, if you will, uh, Hey, listen, uh, uh, this was all from the Lord. Again, it wasn't just a bright idea. So that's exactly what Peter is going to do here. He's going to explain how he knows this is from the Lord. He's going to persuade them to recognize that God was in this. God confirmed this direction. So, so he goes about sharing how God confirmed this direction. And if you look back at verse 5, the very first thing that happened while he was in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house says he got a vision. God confirmed his direction to Peter through a, through a vision. That's point number one. God confirms his direction through visions and dreams. Okay, I added dreams there for a specific purpose. Why? Because this was something God promised way back through Joel that he would do. And that God speaking through visions and dreams would be a sign that the Holy Spirit descended. Peter... He acknowledges this if you flip back a few pages in Acts chapter 2 when he preaches his first message empowered by the Spirit. Look what he says in Acts chapter 2 verse 17. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my, I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. He says, you're going to know how, how one of the ways or a few of the ways that, that you can be confident that the Holy Spirit descended? Yeah, people are going to prophesy. People are going to have visions. People are going to have dreams. That wasn't just true for that moment at Pentecost. That is still true today. God wants to speak to us. And one of the ways he speaks to us is through visions and dreams. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody here is going to get a vision from the Lord or have some prophetic dream. But I will tell you from personal experience lined up with the truth of Scripture that I've experienced both of these things. God speaking through visions and dreams. One time, it was early on in my faith. I hadn't even been saved for a year yet. And me and a bunch of buddies, we got together. And we were just worshiping the Lord, like no teaching or anything like that. We just played worship music. Uh, we were together, but we were alone. 
if that makes sense. Um, and, and we just were praying and worshiping the Lord. And it was one of those times, like, you know, you just know the Lord is right there. The holiness of his presence. And I'm weeping, recognizing the goodness of God. And I start praying, Lord, save my dad. Save my father. My brother just got saved. God, save my dad, please. And as I was praying that prayer in the state of worship, I had this vision of me and my dad playing catch in heaven. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing. We're just playing because of baseball. My dad taught me how to play baseball. I played baseball for the majority of my life, and we're just playing catch in heaven. And in that moment, I knew. I just had an overwhelming sense of peace. The Lord spoke to my heart, and he says, I got your dad. Don't worry about your dad. Don't worry about him. A year later, my dad uh, recommitted his life to the Lord. Now he's sold out for Jesus. He's always looking for the next mission trip he can go on or the next uh, time he can serve in a different capacity. It's amazing. The Lord, he gave me that vision and he fulfilled the vision. Not that I'm playing catch with my dad in heaven, but um, you know what might happen, okay? We don't see baseball in the Bible, but it should be in there. <laughs> But not only visions, as God spoke to Peter, but he also speaks through dreams. Has anyone had a prophetic dream in here before? Yeah, right? God speaks through prophetic dreams. I just want you to raise, my, raise your hand so I don't feel alone here, right? <laughs> God will speak prophetically through dreams. Now, it doesn't mean that every dream is from the Lord, right? Um, but for me personally, I've had this happen on many occasions. There's something different about the dream that's from the Lord. Usually I'll wake right up and I know I need to write it down. Okay, you need to write this thing down. And I'll always have that on my heart to write the dream down specifically. Well, one time I was, uh, I, I was, I was sleeping, right? That's when you dream most of the time. I was sleeping and I had this dream, two of my friends, long story short, I don't want to get too much into too much detail, but two of my good friends at the time, they ended up falling. They fell, like fell away from the Lord. And I knew it was prophetic so much. So I literally got up in the middle of the night and I didn't write their names down uh, just in case someone got a hold of my journal, right? I just did the abbreviation of their names, M and D, okay? And and I said, God, I'm worried like that these, these guys that I love, that they're gonna fall. Surely enough, within two months, they both fell. One of them's back in prison right now. Uh, the other one, luckily he got clean again because he hadn't he OD'd where he technically died. They revived him, uh, and, uh, they had to bring him to the hospital to revive him. But, but the point is God doesn't just give us direction for us through dreams. Sometimes he gives us warning signs for others and direction for others. The primary point here is that God still does speak through dreams. He still does speak through visions. We see this throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 11, verse 7, 6, sorry. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. You see that? 
the Lord confirmed this direction through his word. He said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. The Lord spoke to Peter during the vision. Again, he also says, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. And the Lord says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. The Lord confirmed this direction through his word. It's point number two. God confirms his direction through his word. God confirms his direction through his word. Now, this may be the way that God speaks to people most often. Um, but he absolutely does speak through his word. We see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a lot in that verse, but I want to point out one thing. He says the Bible is living, meaning it's not just a normal book. We're not just studying a book of history and poetry and different letters that different apostles wrote to each other. No, 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 no. It's living. Literally, it's life-giving. God wants to show us the way to this life through His Word. And I'm not just speaking generally. I'm not just speaking looking at the Word and going, okay, I know this is a sin and this isn't a sin. That's good and all, but the Lord, He wants to speak to us specifically through His Word. He can use stories that happened 1,500, 2,000, 4,000 years ago to help us understand what we're supposed to do today. Today, or this season, or next season, you name it. This is what God wants us to get out of His Word. Not to just get puffed up with knowledge, but to be directed by Him. He wants to speak to us personally. It says this in Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105, if you want to write it down. It says, the Word of God is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. The Lord literally, He wants to light up our path. He wants us to show, He wants to show us the way, not just the general way, specifically for us. He wants to show us the way that we're supposed to walk in our life, the direction that we're supposed to follow Him in. He gets down to the nitty gritty. He gets down to the specifics. I've basically had confirmation in God's word for every big decision I've had or ever had to make in my life, okay? And I know that's not normal for everyone. I think the Lord kind of babies me with that because he knows if I'm not sure if it's from the Lord, then I hesitate and yada, yada, yada. So he's like, okay, here, you're a baby. Here you go. Now go follow the direction. That's, I guess, what I need, and he knows that. But I've had it literally for every big decision I've ever had to make in my life. Uh, for Patmos, going to Patmos, when uh, from Calvary House to Patmos, I remember um, the Lord gave me Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul talks about how he learned contentment when he had a lot and he had nothing. In all things, he learned that his contentment was rooted in the Lord. Okay, I knew the truth of that, but I didn't completely comprehend it yet until I was thrown into the scenario that I was thrown in. Remember, Paul says he learned contentment, meaning at one point he didn't have it. How did he learn it? Well, he's speaking from prison. He got everything taken away from him. Time and time again, he got stripped from everything. And he recognized, well, I can't be content based on my circumstances because contentment doesn't come through circumstances. It comes through my relationship with the Lord. Because regardless of what happens to me in this life, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, whether I'm going through a heartbreaking tragedy or not, the only thing that I can be sure of is my relationship with God. That's it. That's why our joy is in and of the Lord. If we have 
have joy that goes away based on our circumstances, then it's not joy. It's temporary happiness. And the Lord was trying to instill this in me. And I literally got everything taken away from me. There were seasons of abundance. There were seasons of nothing. And I recognized, man, this contentment thing is so crucial. And even as I would go through difficult times and difficult challenges, the Lord would remind me of this scripture. And I recognized this is what the Lord's trying to get across to me. I could talk about this for a while, but other areas of my life where the Lord gave me confirmation. He gave me confirmation in his word to Mary Elizabeth in Isaiah chapter 62. Like clear neon green lights that I was supposed to do that. I know not everybody gets that, but for me, that's what happened. I had clear confirmation to come here (laughs) way back. What now almost two years ago. The Lord was speaking to me through Exodus about building the tabernacle and I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away from the fact that I knew God was directing me here. The point is God does want to speak to us. He does want to direct us. And one of the ways he does that is through his word. But you know what? We have a responsibility too. We got to ask him, God, what do you want me to do? And not just generally, okay? If we ask God general prayers, often we can expect him to give us general answers, okay? If you ask God what's your general will for me, I'll tell you right now, okay? His will is that you would be transformed into the image of Jesus, okay? That's God's will. Your sanctification. He's trying to raise you up to be good kids. That's the bottom line what God's trying to do. How he does that depends on you personally. But if we want to know how he's going to do that personally, we got to ask him specifically, God, what do you want me to do today? I feel like this season's coming to an end. What do you want me to do next season? Lord, I want to know specifically what your will is for my life. And when we pray specific prayers, God often answers specifically. But if we're not asking, if we're not seeking, if we're not knocking, how do we expect the Lord to direct us? We got to desire it. We got to look for it. I have people come up to me all the time and ask me for advice, right? And that's cool. Ask me for advice, okay? But I'm just a man. And oftentimes when people ask me for advice, I'll ask them, have you asked God yet? Okay, I'm not sure. I'll tell you, this is what the Bible says here and this is what it says here. Um, But has the Lord said anything yet? Have you asked him? Have you sought him for what he wants you to do personally? Because so many times we can forget that. We can neglect it on small scales, on large scales, and everything in in between. I fall into this too, in transparency. Uh, I'll give you an example. Last Tuesday, I was, um, I I planned my day out uh, the night before, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study these specific chapters. I'm going to do this for the mission trip. I'm going to connect with this person and this person. Here's my plan, right? I wake up in the morning, I start thinking about it. I was like, did I ask God if that's what he wanted me to do? Maybe I'm not even supposed to study today. I don't know. So I asked the Lord. I was like, God, if I'm not supposed to do my plan, you let me know what you want me to do. Sure enough, I didn't get to do really anything that I planned out. And just person after person after person just kept coming by the church. It was like, all right, well, I'm not getting any of this stuff done. But I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And he confirmed it through my circumstances. The point is, so often we can get stuck in this is what I'm going to do. When we haven't even asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? It's so crucial that we ask him. And when he tells us, we respond. The text continues, Acts chapter 11, verse 10. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. 
Then the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. God also confirmed this direction through people. He sent three men, three Gentile men, to Peter's house. Simon the Tanner's house, technically. Point number three, God confirms his direction through people. God confirms his direction through people. So often, it's people that God wants to use to get messages across. In Luke chapter 16, uh, it's the story of a rich man and Lazarus. And based on their relationship with the Lord, uh, the rich man goes to hell. Not because he's rich, but because he didn't know Jesus. And, and Lazarus, he goes to heaven because he knew Jesus. Or he's in Abraham's bosom, this holding spot. That's for another teaching. Well, anyways, we see the rich man, he's in hell. He's asking Lazarus for just a little water to put on his lips. Uh, but he can't, he can't pass from uh, one place to the other. There's a chasm there. Then this guy, the rich man, he's like, well, can, can we just send someone back to get the message across to my family? Because I don't want him to have to go through this. And look at how Abraham responds. In Luke chapter 16, verse 31. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. His point is, man. People have been speaking to your family. People have been speaking to your ancestors for ages. God has sent so many people to get the message across. It doesn't matter if we send one more person. If they don't receive my messengers in the past, they're not going to receive them in the future. See, the Lord, he often uses people to get messages across to us. You know what's funny about this? It's not always even Christians. Sometimes it could be an atheist or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim. Now, I wouldn't follow all their advice, but God can use anyone. He used a donkey. He can definitely use an atheist. But the Lord will use people in our life. And we have to have that mentality, recognizing the sovereignty of God like, Why did I have this encounter with this person? Lord, are you trying to show me something about me, about you, about them? Uh, What is it? But if we're not open to receiving that, we're going to miss the message. God uses people to speak to me all the time. I'll share a story. It connects to dreams, too. Um, Some of you have already heard this. Uh, But I had a former Patmos student named Mela. She, uh, uh, just before I came on here, uh, after Laura's already confirming it to me, uh, she wrote me a letter. She's never written me a letter before. Not before, not after. Okay, so this is strange. I got a letter from Mela. That's kind of weird, you know? She didn't call me. She wrote a letter, okay? So she writes this letter and she tells me, I know you're supposed to become the pastor at Calvary Chapel Running Springs. Not I think, or I have a hunch. She says, I know, okay? Well, right away, I'm like, oh, shoot. How does she know? So she proceeds to go through this prophetic dream that she had about it. And basically she told me this. She said, she's been here one time um, when she was a student. She said, you were up there teaching and there were trash bags by every aisle. And and you were telling the people to put their sin in the trash can, to, to throw it away. And some people were doing it. Well, her, Mela, she said, uh, I had a flower and it was a representation of my sin, but it was pretty and I liked it. And you told me to throw the flower in the trash can. And I didn't want to. So I took that flower and I ran out of the church. And she said, this is what the Lord spoke to me. She said, I, a part of the reason that, that, that he's brought you here is to address sin. 
Probably not your sin, just my sin, right? Because we don't have any sinners in here. It says, he called you here to address sin in the church. And the reality of it is, you're going to call certain people out and address specific sins. And they're going to like that sin too much, too pretty for them. And they're going to leave. And I looked at that, wow, okay, that sounds like a, a difficult one. That's like Jeremiah the prophet, right? But regardless, God used her to confirm direction in my life. And it doesn't have to be through a prophetic dream or whatever. God can use so many different people. He speaks in various ways, but we got to listen again. Why, God, did you bring this person into my life? Why am I having this encounter? The text continues, Acts chapter 11, verse 13. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send me to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. So Peter's not the only one getting confirmation and direction here, right? We got Cornelius on the other side. God, as Cornelius, we see earlier, he was praying and fasting and God sent this angel to confirm a message. It's point number four. God confirms his direction through angelic messengers. God confirms his direction through angelic messengers. And we see there are different kinds of angels. You got uh, fighting angels. You got archangels. Um, you have messenger angels. Uh, you have fallen angels. Uh, but we see throughout the Bible, a lot of times God uses angels to get messages across to people. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, uh, it says that angels are ministering spirits, okay? Sometimes they're ministering to God and praising God. Sometimes they're ministering to man, but we see throughout the Bible that God, he often sends angels to get specific messages across to people. I'll read for you an example in Daniel chapter 10. Now, just a little context for you. Daniel, he's in Babylon. Um, He's been doing the Daniel fast for 21 days. Now, sometimes people think, oh, Daniel only did the Daniel fast for 21 days. But we see him do it in the beginning of Daniel and Daniel chapter 2. We also see him do it. There's some indication that Daniel might have been doing the Daniel fast the whole time he was in Babylon. In this specific, so next time you do the Daniel fast, maybe it's supposed to be a permanent thing. I don't know. He says, this angel comes to him, could be uh, a Christophany, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. We can't be sure based on the text. Regardless of any of that, look what happens. Daniel, he's fasting in a sense. He's praying, much like Cornelius was. He's seeking the Lord. And this angel, this messenger is sent to him. Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. Suddenly... A hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I came because of your words. God sent an angel because of Daniel's prayers. He says the first day you were praying, I heard you, God heard you, and your prayers were prevented because of these demonic forces. Regardless, God heard the prayers and he sent this angelic messenger. That's not just the Bible. God could still do that today. He could send angels to give us messages. I'll share a story with you. I'm not saying for sure this guy was an angel, but he could have been. So I was in Walmart one day and... uh I was with my friend Josh, 
and uh, we were just talking about, he was like, man, I'm so busy. Like, I, I feel like work has taken over uh, my relationship with the Lord. I haven't had enough time with Jesus. I haven't been getting the word like I should. And he was asking me to hold him accountable with this thing. Uh, so we're talking about, I'm like, yeah, man, I'll help you. I'll wake you up, I'll yada, yada, yada. So five, 10 minutes later, we're walking down an aisle and this guy beelines us, walks right up to us and says, I know you two are Christians. How the heck does he know that? Okay, and so yeah, we go to Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale. He proceeds to say, he goes on kind of this tangent, sharing scripture, uh, glorifying God, uh, and then he looks to Josh, and he looks up, and he looks back, and he says, I know you're struggling with your relationship with the Lord right now. God's calling you to a deeper relationship, but you got to get rid of all of the distractions and engage in this relationship. I'm like, bro, is this guy following us like five, ten minutes ago? He wasn't, but I'm like... What is this? It was a word of knowledge, okay? That's a spiritual gift. And so I'm just stoked. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. This is amazing, right? There's no way this guy could know this unless the Lord told him. That was enough. But then he looks to me and he looks up to this guy and he speaks to me and he says, I know you have a passion for the word of God. You love the word of God and you're in the word of God and God's gonna use that. God has anointed you to communicate the gospel not all of this has come true. He says, thousands are going to come to faith through you, right? He says, you're going to travel the world and all these people are going to come to faith. I'm like, whoa, that's serious. It was a combination of the word of knowledge and, a, and, and prophecy. And he said this to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wild. And, and just as I'm like in shock, I have nothing to say. My jaws kind of dropped and then he looks up to the sky. I don't know why I kept looking up to the sky. I don't know. That's how I got the revelations or whatever. And then he goes to me, oh yeah, about that financial thing that you're worrying about right now. God says, you don't got to worry about it. He, got, he has you. Just that day, um, I was asked to go on a mission trip, that mission trip to Liberia. Uh, and, and he tells me, oh, it's all going to be taken care of. Just two days later, my grandma texts me and she says, um, hey, God's put it on my heart to give you money for something. Is there money that you need for money for something specifically? And I'm like, dude, this is weird, right? This is crazy. There's no way. I didn't tell her that. She didn't know. Uh, hadn't even decided to go on the trip yet. He could have been an angel. Maybe not. I don't know. He could have just been a man that had these gifts, right? You can be the judge of that. Regardless, the reality is just as God spoke to Cornelius through an angel, God can still do that today. He can send angelic messengers to speak to us. In Acts chapter 11, verse 15 And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As Peter's retelling the story, look what he says. He says, as we were speaking, Holy Spirit fell upon. As I was walking in obedience to what God told me to do, I was speaking what God told me to speak. Then I remembered the word of God. The word of God came to remembrance. If you recall, this was a promise that Jesus made back in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. 
Now, this promise was specifically for the disciples so that they could remember what Jesus said, his teachings, all of that. But it does apply to us as well. The Holy Spirit will remind us of his word. And oftentimes he reminds us of his word when we're purposing to walk in obedience, purposing to walk in his word, purposing to, to do what God has called us to do. That's exactly what Peter was doing. And in the midst of him doing that, God brings the word to life in his mind and recognize him bro you're fulfilling scripture peter you're fulfilling scripture just what i said jesus is going to baptize people with the holy spirit you're seeing scripture fulfilled before your very eyes why because he's walking in obedience we literally can see the word of god fulfilled right before our eyes when we're doing what god asks us to do in an amazing way just as peter saw firsthand the text continues verse 17 If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand him? Peter's saying, hey, we got the same gift. The Holy Spirit wasn't different for the Gentiles than it was for the Jews. It was the same gift, the same gospel, which is telling us that God, through The gospel of Jesus Christ, he put us all on an equal playing field, okay? We're all children of God. It doesn't matter if you're Greek, Jewish, American. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same category. We're the bride of Christ. And Peter says, how could I withstand God? In other words, I told God no too many times before, right? We talked about that last week. Who am I to tell God no again? Peter's saying, I can't resist the direction that God has given me. This is the fifth and final point. When God confirms his direction, don't resist it. When God confirms his direction, don't resist it. God can speak in various ways. Heck, he could send us an angel. But it doesn't really do any good if we resist the direction. God could speak to us in profound ways. But it's not going to turn out the way that it's supposed to be unless we respond in obedience. In Acts chapter 5, after the church was persecuted for the first time, we still see Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, also a rabbi, Paul's teacher, if you will. And he says this amazing gives this amazing response to the religious leaders. He says in Acts chapter 5, verse 38, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Speaking of the church. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. He says, don't get in the way of what God's trying to do here. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what you think. Don't get in the way. Who are you to fight against God? The sad truth is that some of us do. We put ourselves in that position. We resist God. God gives a clear direction. We say, I I, I don't want it. I don't want to walk in that direction. We resist that direction. The Bible calls this. It calls this grieving and then quenching the Holy Spirit. Grieving? Okay, let's let's take this in the proper context. Grieving the Spirit. Literally, when we walk in disobedience, just as you mourn and grieve over a loved one, the Holy Spirit is grieving over us. We break the Lord's heart when we walk in disobedience. We absolutely crush Him. And we can minimize 
minimize, well, it's not that bad. It's just a little sin. The Bible says that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Like the Spirit is mourning because He's losing us to this destructive path. And finally, when we've grieved the Holy Spirit long enough, we do something called quenching the Spirit, where the Spirit says, hey, um, yeah, I love you, but I can't get across to you, so I'm just going to let you go down this road that you're uh, so set on going down. And he says, Romans chapter 1, well, give us over to our desires, okay? I keep grieving the Spirit. Here you go. Have it. You want it that bad? Have it. And quench the Spirit. Sometimes they'll start stop talking to us about specific things. Peter says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to submit to the direction that God's given me. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. I don't want to quench the Spirit. That's the same response we should have too. Be submitted to. Surrender to the direction that God gives us in our life. Because God gives us direction because he has an end goal. And his end goal, as I mentioned before, is to transform us into the image of Christ. The more we get in the way of that, the more we prolong this thing, right? He's like, I want you to have this this amazing character just like Jesus is. And I'm giving you direction so that you get there. But if, if our goals don't line up and you're resisting my goals and you keep pursuing your goals, then you're not going to get there. But it's not just that. It's not just for our personal growth. It's for other people. This was so that the gospel could be presented to the Gentiles. See, when God gives us direction, it's never just for us. It's for some other future people down the road that it's to benefit as well. So depending on how we respond to God's direction, it will affect other people. We can choose to be obedient. And see how it encourages other people. Or we can choose to resist the direction of God. And see how it possibly destroys other people. Or prevents them from having opportunities. Let's just play it out like this. What if Peter says, no, I'm not going to break my tradition. I'm not going to let the Gentiles into the house. What happens then? Not that God couldn't have opened up the door to the Gentiles some other way, but Peter wouldn't have been the one that got used for it. Peter had to respond in obedience to see this miraculous thing happen from the Lord. And lastly, Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. So they went from contending with Peter to all of a sudden silent. Jaws probably dropped like, oh my gosh, this is actually from the Lord. And then they get excited. They start glorifying God because why? Because Peter responded in obedience to what the Lord asked him to do. And it caused the people to glorify God. That's what God's trying to do. He wants us to glorify God, but he wants to use our obedience so that other people glorify God. That's why he calls us to be... uh Uh, To be the light of this world. Jesus is the light of this world. But he uses us to shine light on this dark world. So that they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But if we're not working, walking in the good works that God prepared for us, then we're robbing God of glory. We're, We're sincerely robbing God of glory, not just for ourselves, but other people. They're missing out on the opportunity to glorify God because they haven't seen God work In this text, these people did. And it was all because God directed Peter and Peter responded to it. Now, 
this simple act of obedience is going to affect the entire world. Literally, this act of obedience affects the entire world. We can't minimize God's direction in our lives. First of all, we got to seek it. We got to ask for it. And to ask for it, we got to actually want God to direct us. And when we seek it, he will give us direction. Maybe not right when we ask for it, but he will eventually give us direction. But that's just part of it. After the direction, there has to be obedience. If there's not obedience, then we don't get to see amazing things in our life like we do here in the scriptures. Masses glorifying God. People's hearts change. People's minds change. Because God working through one individual. So as we seek the Lord for direction, and I hope we all do that, don't minimize the direction that he gives you, whether it's a small direction or a large direction. Almost every time, it's to affect many people. For Peter's case, it was the entire world. Could be the same case for us. Let's pray. Lord, We thank you that you're such a good father, that you love your children so much that you want to give us direction. Lord, I pray that we would seek you for that direction. And God, as we seek you, we would find you, that you would light up our path, Lord, that we would know what you want from us, yes, generally, but also specifically. God, and as you give us direction, pray we wouldn't minimize it, Lord. We'd respond in obedience knowing that there's others that you're trying to bring to a place that they glorify you as well. So Lord, bless us as we go about our day. Speak to us and give us the strength to walk in obedience. In your name, amen.